You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, here we are on the Batuta Advocate radio show. We're on the road. We are joined today by an iconic Melbourneigan and actually almost 20-year veteran of, of, of the Australian media as a commentator. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? John Saffron, thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much. I don't know whether you've got a curse, but I drive around Melbourne all the time and I'm just driving here and there and it's all in the city and somehow when coming here like the google map took me to like i had to go into these like pothole kind of look like where breaking bad does the drug deals and <laughs> then there was like fences that cut me off and i had to go I, yeah so I, I don't know I've, i haven't seen this side of melbourne before oh really yes well, this just looks like Melbourne to us, you know. <laughs> Are you? We're actually in a place called Kensington, I yeah. believe. It's an industrial area. And what you've just said, John, suggests you might live in a bubble? Yes, correct. <laughs> you tell us a little bit about the bubble you grew up in. Did you grow up in a Jewish area? Uh, you've got it all like a bit like sus. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't that wasn't an interrogation question. No, just, no, enough I, about. I do live at the moment, and I, I, I semi grew up here in a suburb called Balaclava, mm-hmm. which is the real hub of like ultra orthodox Jews. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you want those extras in your life to give a bit of like fun to your weekend, where yeah. you're sitting having a coffee, yeah. and then the extras are just more interesting because they've got the ringlets and the big furry hats. Balaclava is where you go. So visibly Jewish community. Yeah, yes. Um, which I'm, we were familiar with that kind of existed. And we know it does exist in certain parts of Sydney, and Bob Catter would argue in certain parts of North Queensland, uh, a lot of uh, Semitic descendants, he says, up that way. But can you tell us a little bit what it was like growing up here like that and and, and if your upbringing as a, a Jewish man in Melbourne kind of led to you, obviously you're now known as the Jew detective. Do you reckon it's all it's all part of uh, your, your upbringing? Yeah, I've always been a bit of an insider-outsider. Mm-hmm. So when I was really young, I just, I just went to like a regular primary school and I lived, I lived outside of Balaclava in just a more regular area. Mm-hmm. And then I mucked around too much in year seven at my state high school. And so my parents said I had to go to a small, strict school. And they ended up sending me to this ultra-Orthodox, like, Jewish school where there were, like, 14 kids in our class. And I was, like, the least religious kid in the most religious school. And the, so their thinking was like, it was a bit like sending me to the nuns mm-hmm. who were going like, you know, it's, it's not like just because you're sent to the nuns, suddenly it's because you're like super Catholic or anything like that. And yeah, so then I, then I was on the in, inside of this like ultra-Orthodox Jewish school. and But, but I, I was still just doing my own thing. Like I was obsessed with hip hop mm-hmm. growing up, like way more. I wasn't like really thinking all about religion or anything, and then, then when I got out of that particular bubble and s- started en- entering into like TV land or whatever, like you start telling stories and you start getting a vibe that oh, this is like an interesting area mm-hmm. that people don't know about, and I've like had this, uh, I've grown up with these interesting experiences. So you start using that as a bit of an anchor. So you didn't go into this school and come out the other side as as the boy that that your parents were hoping would come out the other side. You uh, had a bit of a thirst for. For things kind of outside. Yeah, um, but even that was confusing because this school, because it was run by missionaries yeah, right. that were from New York, uh, so a lot of... They'd come to Melbourne. Yeah, they'd come yeah. to Melbourne. Uh, and <laughs> so 
and, and so it was, it was a bit of anarchy, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was way more less strict than my state high school that I'd gone to in year seven. I can and imagine. And there was a lot of uh, white sc- screeching, and you're allowed to be a loud mouth in class. And yeah, it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't until I left that I realized, like, I was so sarcastic because yeah. in the context of the school, I was just like regular. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? There was a bit of like a bit of a New York because yeah they all came from New York yeah. missionaries so it was a bit li- of a, a little I'm bit walking of, here kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah yeah so it was a, a good kind of like New York feeling like in the middle of Melbourne no. yeah because a lot of our um, listeners particularly up in, in Queensland aren't really familiar with the Jewish Australian upbringing unless they're obviously familiar with your work and a lot of people kind of would feel like it's a uh, they would equate it to, say, Brethren or Methodist or something like that, just another type of white. Oh, but yeah. it is, you're right, you you, you, you say that a bit, an inside-outsider. Yeah. Do you sometimes feel like a bit of an undercover cop surrounded by white people and you hear, uh, you know, some of the comments they make? Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the whole whiteness thing's kind of interesting because, like, in the wider community, like wider Australia, mm. we're just like, oh, there's some more white people or whatever. Mm. But you go into these pockets, whether it's the the right, you know, the hard right, far right, the hard left in some pockets of the Muslim community and other pockets, and suddenly you're not just white. No. Mm. You're, you're white plus. Yeah. Or, or rather, you're not simply white. You're sort of part of their story, and you're like a character in their story of how the world works and often not a pleasant character. So, so yeah, so it does become... That, that's what I found fascinating when I was doing my book, Depends What You Mean by Extremist, was really waking up to that because I, I, I already kind of had the vibe that if I hang around with neo-Nazis, they're going to be a bit dark on the Jews. <laughs> so that wasn't a surprise, but I was, I, I was quite stunned by like things on the hard left and either things weren't thought through that well or they were overthought yeah. in a way that ma- made the Jew like a, not, not a pleasant yeah. character. How were you received? Um, because, you know, th- that book was – obviously out just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So you were quite well known before you wrote uh, the book on extremism. How did those people on the right, how did they treat you when you first started to try and peer your way into that little bubble? I was f- just incidentally like slightly one step ahead of this whole thing of like the alt-right growing mm. and yeah. Pauline Hanson having her born again moment. Mm. So when I was hanging out with them, I, I was happy to just to be like writing a book about hanging out with six skinheads in a pub, yeah. and then it sort of like grew and grew and grew. And I, and I guess they just didn't know what to do. Like, what what are you going to do if you're holding a small protest on the street, and then I come up there? You're just kind of gonna go along with it, I guess. Yeah. Like, it'd be it'd be yeah. quite a big thing to then like thump someone in the face. Yeah. yeah Although guess. after the fact, someone told me he had to stop when I was up in I think Bendigo. He, he, this one member of the far right contacted me and said, oh, yeah, they're going to jump you at that rally, but I talked them out of it. But I don't know if that's really? true or not. And I was quite disappointed because that would have been quite a good chapter for the book. <laughs> and obviously by now, a couple of years later, all the wounds would have been yeah. healed. Yeah, yeah. So thanks a lot, so, jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean like you, these people knew who you were, you were able to walk up to them and they were like, you know, bugger off, John. Get yeah, out of here. Yeah. Well, I, I kind you of were d- part of a greater Jewish conspiracy yes. when you and them ones. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I just kind of hung out at the rallies. I was calling these rallies. So I just kind of hung out almost until they came to me. Yeah. So it was a bit like hanging out with kittens. You know, if you, like, jump at a kitten, it runs off. Mm. But if you sort of hang around there. So I am comparing uh, Australia's <laughs> skinhead community to, to kittens in this particular metaphor.
<laughs> now, there looks like there's been waves, and you've obviously, be, you'd be the one who's documented this, but there's been waves of kind of white nationalism or neo-Nazism spiking in Australia. Obviously, there's the romper stomper era of, you know, uh, Melbourne, Vietnamese. and It's almost always in Victoria, though. In that lull, I guess, between the 80s when there was that anti-Asian sentiment, 80s and 90s and the skinheads and the real kind of, you know, buying the special knives from yeah. Hitler and collectibles and that kind of stuff. And then there was this lull and then we've seen it rear its head again with the internet. You were looking at these people in that lull and, and it was kind of laughable. And did you find it funny at the time or did you think that these people still had a bit of clout at that time? Yeah, they always have a clout. They can always do a lot of harm even if it's on, on a, a small scale level. Mm. So they can still like just beat up people on the street. Mm. So even if you don't get political about it, like because it, it, everyone's obsessed with structural things and stuff, yeah. even if you say these skinheads have no power whatsoever, yeah. they still like can really be... They still have access to steroids uh, yeah, like, and still like, like, boots. Yeah. Total assholes who yeah. like commit violent crimes yeah. against people of different skin colour. So there's that. But then... And then it becomes a bit like how much... When they rose, they started rising up. They were energised a bit by... Things like, uh, you know, Pauline Hanson becoming big and then Trump becoming big. But even before that, the, the reason they, were, they kind of came out of the shadows again was because they figured out a way that they could present themselves as having mainstream concerns. So if you're, if you're there rabbiting on about, like, even, like, black people or the Jews or something, it's like, ugh, whatever. But then they kind of worked out this sort of more, this kind of today tonight um, <laughs> version of what they did, where it's like on today tonight they'd be talking about uh, halal certification or yeah. things like about terrorism or whatever. So they were, they came out of the shadows and were basically kind of faking it a bit and pretending that was their concerns. Like, oh, like we're just sitting around minding our own business. And then, like, I could not believe I saw halal certified Cadbury bars <laughs> at the Woolworths. When, when, that kind of wasn't really what they were on about. It was more that's how they could put on a facade. Yeah. It wasn't so much about racial purity. It was more about culture. Wars. Well, it is about racial purity, but but they can't <laughs> say think, that. Yeah, yeah They I can't think. say that, oh, the Jewish bankers are controlling it. Like, it, it all just sounds a bit odd to regular ears. And since the, um, then, they just they always like to latch on to some mainstream thing and pretend that's their concern. So the next thing was about African crime. Yeah. Which and because that's an, again another kind of today tonight issue. Yeah, and, and then, it's highly visible as well. They'll just it? take. They'll absolutely take anything uh, if they think it's going to help. Like they just drop Muslims uh, like a hot potato as soon as they could. Like this crime thing started happening. Like I started turning up to their rallies and they just suddenly they weren't talking about Islam yeah. or halal or. Muslims Islam at all. was very 2016. Yeah. 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 It was like, and as soon as Trump started talking about the working class and the factories, they jumped onto that. Yeah. I remember there was like a rally. That was, that was a rally. As soon as Trump started talking about factories closing down the working class, the next rally I turned up to, they, they, they just were not talking about Islam at all, like what they've been banging on about. So, yeah, they, was, all, they all started wearing toll shirts. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and the, oh, yeah, and then like this like... yellow vest thing where they just – if there's something overseas that they think they can yeah. like make themselves look like they're normal, like we're just normal people with like, normal concerns. Even if it comes out of a movement that was born in the left, like they've got the Eureka stockade, yeah. you know, where it's like, this flag <laughs> means no to the government. It's like, well, it's because but, of, but you the, know. Yeah, the leadership in those groups are totally serious and really – I guess politically eccentric. Yeah. Like someone like, do I even say their names? Because it kind of, 
I don't know. But anyway, so that's their main leader, for instance. Yeah. Like, he's really well read about yeah. all these this far-right stuff and he yeah. reads about Hitler and he believes it all and stuff, but he kind of knows... It's just, it's just weird. Like, yeah. like he's not going to get a crowd he, if he, he starts, knows, he knows if he starts talking about. Yeah, he can't drop that one on a on a on a fresh audience. Like, I've seen that particular leader, and <laughs> and I, well, you always see these people lapse into that little conspiracy that they that they don't really want to show. And I remember seeing, what is it? Is it the Jews fund feminism? That's one thing I've yeah, seen. Yeah, Jew, yeah. Jewish bankers <laughs> yeah. fund feminism. They don't sound like two things that would go hand in hand, Jewish bankers and feminism, and then this greater communist thing. Have you actually had these conspiracy theories explained to you? In oh, yeah, when I go see? to the meetings. Yeah, right. When I go to yeah. the international Jewish conspiracy meetings. <laughs> like, like we're out. No, yeah, they, they just... That's why, that's why kind of conspiracy theories are kind of weird when you're Jewish because you kind of know... In five minutes, it's going to kind of go. To, you know, it's, it's it's all fun and games. I read there was this bookshop when I was growing up. It's still there, called the Theo- Theosophical Bookshop in Melbourne CBD, and it had conspiracy books. And even when I was young, I kind of noticed this thing. You'd start off one end of the shelf, and it's like there's aliens, and then you'd kind of move a bit further on, and it's the Kennedy assassination, and who did the Kennedy assassination? <laughs> And then it would, like, ease on more and it'd be about uh, 9-11 and the Illuminati. And then, like, you get to, to the end, it's like David Icke's and it's just, yeah, the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of, when you, when you so do you feel that anxiousness when you're surrounded by conspiracists? It's like, it's a matter of time until this laser turns on me right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I actually feel better. I feel way more comfortable around... Uh, like the far right because yeah. everyone's kind of on your side yeah. besides them yeah, yeah. you know what I mean but as soon as it's like the left it just becomes strange I'll give you like a real solid example of this like was after the Christchurch massacre in Auckland and there's a, a rally for you know solidarity and against racism and all that things like that and this guy just gets to the microphone. So there must be like hundreds of progressive people there who are there because they hate racism and what happened in Christ. And this guy just gets to the microphone and starts talking about the massacre and who was behind it. And we've got to look into the Zionist money that was behind it. And everyone just stands there. It's like, and it's like, how am I meant to, how are you meant to take this? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, and it's, and that just happens all the time. The Aboriginal community have gotten pretty good at just pulling the mic on when someone starts going on a tangent and yeah. say, no, we're here about Australia Day, guys. Let's yeah, not yeah. talk about Asian property investment and that kind yeah. of, yeah, they yeah. can kind of keep it on track. But you're right, the lefties, <laughs> they'll let some dude get up there and end up talking about vaccinations. <laughs> do, what, what do you think the, from the, the end of the intelligence end, yeah. with that Christchurch thing and then obviously the Fraser Anning press conference and Egg Boy and then that beating that that kid took and there was a lot of people on top yeah. of him and kicking him that were I mentioned in your book. Yeah, yeah, I know. And like, you know, this is just someone who's read your book. I was able to identify them. Are the cops aware that are looking into these people? Like, do you, do you reckon? or do you, uh, Well... Are there it, files on this movement? I reckon there would have to be. And yeah. I, I, this is just my amateur psychological examination. There definitely are like a handful mm. where I would not be surprised if like you woke up one morning and like one of them was on a watchtower yeah. and, you know, had been um, yeah. you're from, from, from different sides yeah. as well. Like, yeah, it, it, so, yeah, you'd, you'd sort of hope. And what percentage like, do you reckon is like – Moron follower slash excitable dead shit versus. It's really hard to pick apart, but definitely like one of like an overgeneralization is the leadership. They know exactly what they're doing and they're really up to 
they know what they're doing and they're trying to do something. They're not naive at all. Yeah. But then yeah. amongst the people who turn up, all sorts of people turn up. I would t- I'd be talking to someone. In, in like in the crowd, it turned up to this far right rally run by you know a neo Nazi or whatever, and I'd be saying, "Oh, why? You know, what's this for you?" And she's going, "Oh, yeah, there's a lot of ice in our community, and no one's really doing anything about the ice in our community. It's really great how these guys have spoken to us about how." they're sort of going to help get ice out of the community. And it's like, so clearly they've told her this like totally different story <laughs> than they've told everyone else. And yeah, so yeah, amongst amongst the people who rock up to the rallies is, mm. I, I wouldn't necessarily think, oh, they're all like uh, SS officers or anything. No, well, like there was an issue that, um, that I think it was um, ASIO or the DSD were having a couple of years back where their actual spies, their employees were putting that they worked at these organisations on onto Facebook, on to LinkedIn, and they were like, first rule about being a spy, don't tell anyone you're a spy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Put you it know, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I guess there's, you know, yeah. there are idiots on both sides. Oh, yeah. Idiots in, in tell. It, well, that, that is another thing, comment they made during, uh, after Christchurch was that, it, you know, um, people were questioning, and obviously Australia hasn't, Australia hasn't received much flack considering that was a Australian-born product. But ASIO was saying sometimes it's hard to, to identify these kind of ideologies online because of where, like, public debate's gotten with the major parties. Oh, yeah. Sometimes there's, there's elements of <laughs> supremacy and almost Nazism in, like, public debate. And therefore it's harder to identify someone who's actually scary online. Would you, would you believe that? Well, alongside that, they also just... They really develop their own language mm-hmm. where you just have to be reading it and, like, pick up on irony and, mm-hmm. like, they'll almost, like, say the opposite of what they mean and you have to be, like, like I was doing when I was researching this book, like, spending hours a day and where you start going, ah, oh, okay. So when they say crabs, they mean Jews. Right. <laughs> that, that, that kind oh. of thing. No, but yeah. they, they, they also <laughs> just say things like they'll, they'll, there'll be a rant about how much they abhor racism yeah and it's like the opposite and so like how do you pick that apart if you're um you know and these people get to vote yeah (laughs) there's one thing though john i would like to try and wrap my head around is um the race around the world Uh, it's probably one of the first times that the people in this country got to see you yes and the one thing that's really got me confused is the abc green lighting a program that sends people all over the world you know as opposed to what it is now, which is, you know, a bit of a toothless tiger that doesn't have enough money to buy a sausage roll for lunch. It was one of those great moments, and you probably get it in your careers too, where things are going slightly under the radar, like everything hasn't been worked out yet, and then everything kind of fits into place because no one's overthinking it. Yeah. And, yeah, there was so little overthinking of that. That was when I did it. That was I think it had been run in France or Canada or something, the show already. But they just sent us overseas. It was quite not. I don't. I don't mean disorganised, like yeah. you know, like they didn't organise chaos. The spreadsheets or yeah. whatever. They didn't really know what we were doing, and we didn't really know what we were doing. And it was also the first, for instance, the first generation of cameras that was small enough that you can have a flip screen oh, yeah. and hold it up. So even like that was weird. Like when people are watching on TV, it, it's just what's this badly lit. Like yeah. video diaries, in so much as they'd even thought about that expression, video diaries. So it, it was just kind of mad and making it up 
as we're going along and it was yeah it kind of fell into place so the abc just gave you a credit card and was like all right we need you to go around the world we need you to you know, go and do these things, and then you've got to send the video back to us. Yeah, every every ten days with uh, <laughs> with little notes yeah. and stuff. Every ten days for a hundred days, was that right? Uh, I think that, no, I think maybe for eight. I think we had like eight stories, maybe. Really? God. Yes. That's but even still, that's a whole. That's a lot of work. I really learned how to. This yeah. is how slack I am. I'm 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 so hard working with my slackness. Is that I just hated doing paper edits because we have to sit there and like. Uh, you know, write notes, time code everything. Yeah. So I was like, oh, how much of this story can I shoot like in one take? And or yeah, yeah I started like working backwards. Yeah, yeah, I started working backwards from that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you kind of then pivoted into uh, all the ABC commissioned another pilot of yours yeah. or a pilot of yours after that. And now iconic skit where you were in a Malay with Ray Martin out yeah, front of his correct. house writing his bins. Um, a current affair style. Yes. At, still, at this point, you weren't overly political, were you? Or uh, were no, you? I, I guess. Uh, no, I guess political, is. like in your own way. I already yeah. realised, even from that Ray Martin thing, I could tell I wasn't going to get away with whining. Yeah. Because, or like that, even if I wanted to, not that I particularly wanted to, but there were things when I was like Ray Martin was attacking me. Where I was like. Yeah. I was like, you know, I've got a right to be here. And I'm already like watching it, like suddenly you're on Ray Martin's side yeah. and not like <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff I do is like working backwards from what people put up with, Yeah, which is kind of fair enough. Like it, I guess it is good to have that uh, thing where it's like, oh, people are only going to put up with you if you're kind of do funny stuff and, yeah. and it's not too whiny. Yeah, so I, wouldn't, I don't get away with like doing Mike Moore type stuff, you know, yeah. like even on, I remember on Race Around the World, I, I, one thing being a bit of a ideologue kind of fitted into place, it was when I was at Disneyland and I did have this like quote at the end, like something about the corporations and already when they like, they cut back to the studio, it's like, yeah, like the judges were really, like paying out on me, like, big business. So, uh, yeah, I guess it depends what you mean by political or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was – you go from skits to now you're actually at neo-Nazi rallies and spending oh, months yeah, with I these guys. So. Yeah, yeah, and sure. so on. I guess you're now working in more long-form kind of uh, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and a lot of that is just because that's where the work is. Yeah. So Penguin, for whatever reason, want me to write books, and I'm like, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, oh, why don't you do this or that? And I'm like, well, Penguin are asking me to write books. The end. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing we noticed in, in, in your most recent book uh, about the extremism, uh, how you were seeing flack coming from the left for one particular one, and, and it was a great little um, paragraph there, but it was as you were at this rally and documenting yourself at yeah. these neo-Nazi rallies, yeah. you were being criticised on Twitter by people who only exist on Twitter for dominating a conversation that you're not meant to have. Yeah, yeah. And um, your response was interesting in that these people must have short memories if they can't understand why a Jewish guy would be interested in attending a neo-Nazi rally to see what's going on in 2016. Oh, yeah. I reckon if I could write the book again, the, the thing I'd put more detail in would be about this whole weird, like, incoherence between, like, wokeness and 
sort of like the history of the Jews. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it was because I was baffled at the time because I'm like an old man. And when I went to university, it would have been considered in bad taste to tell a Jew that he that he he shouldn't be on the street protesting Nazis. But they, yeah. <laughs> that was it was totally baffling to me. Like I was on the I was on the street there. It was like my first day of doing research for this book. And this kind of little Twitter storm started about how, like, well, white people like me shouldn't be taking up space in this conversation. Like, I'm like, I just couldn't get my head around it because I was like, and and then I so I did it. I did like a little bit of a joke in the book where kind of just talking about what do I what do I end up saying in the book? Yeah, about how you know maybe you're young and you just pick up kind of history from BuzzFeed or whatever. Yeah, no, that was the <laughs> and, yeah. and it goes, well, like, um, maybe BuzzFeed should write an article about a, why a, a Jew would be at a rally like this. I, hey, I've even got a headline for it, Schindler's Listicle. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and I wish I'd kind of interrogated that mm. more in the book. But I was just, I was too confused when I was yeah. in the yeah. book. Well, on that issue with Twitter kind of being, you know, its own horrible organism, are you familiar with, you know, the concept of having a person get cancelled? Yeah, 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 like deplatformed and stuff, yeah. Do you think you are uncancelable? No, yeah. definitely not. I reckon, I reckon I, yeah, no, people are already, I reckon. Oh, no, not so much deplatformed in the, you know, like, like has since happened to a yeah. lot of these Nazis, as in culturally cancelled. You know, because I guess the tone was set with the Me Too movement where it's like, well, we don't talk about them, we don't talk about their art or their work anymore. But now it's not even in relation to that movement or it, it, it's actually, you know, in relation to any slight of gaffe or or, or any kind of incident. Um, yeah, like... Chris Lilly's saying... since been cancelled for, you know, obviously uh, a lot of the stuff he did later in his career. Yeah, I reckon that there's this kind of like a thing where if you don't engage with it, you, you kind of just kind of keep on walking on. Yeah. I think maybe it's slightly overhammed by both sides. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, and also I, I question the metric of, like, something happens on Twitter and therefore that's what's happening. So, like, just say uh, Dave Chappelle or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he does a special on Netflix. And then in the reality of Twitter, like, it's, oh, my God, Dave Chappelle's, <laughs> like, he, he's over. And, you know, how can he say it or whatever? But clearly... He's like going gangbusters yeah. ratings wise yeah. for Netflix. So yeah. it's like it's hard for me to like work out the metric yeah. and and yeah. So so yeah. So Dave Chappelle's probably kind of overhamming it by saying that oh you know he's got to be really careful or he's going to mm. be yeah. And, but then the other side's also kind of overhamming how much kind of you know how important their kind mm. of yeah. Is. So so yeah they and and comedians are doing that a lot particularly of that generation, they are saying like, oh, I've got to be careful. You can't say anything these days. But you literally are saying m- much yes. more than you used to. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and nothing's really happening to I, you. I kind of <laughs> guess there will be like a slight recalibration at some point yeah. where... An etiquette kind of develops. Yeah. But I think like Netflix seems to just casually have it right where they have like total woke stuff on there mm-hmm. and then they have Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr and then it's like, so that seems fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. it just seems... So, so yeah. I'm kind of like assuming it's going to have to work itself out at some point. Yeah. Well, do you ever go through and read the comments? Do you go through and, like, say, for example, you release a book next week, Yeah. go back through, do you read the comments about it or do you just keep trucking <sighs> forward? I I did when... The, the problem The problem was, or the, the, the thing is, often it's really good for me to 
mm. read the comments because then I can build shtick off them. <laughs> so, so I don't really read the comments for like to self-flagellate. Mm. But yeah, like for instance, like the start of my, my last book, it worked much better because I read the comments and some dude saying, what's this white guy doing here? Mm-hmm. And then I sort of, they don't almost like triggered the entire book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of good for, for that reason. But it, it, yeah, it can just... It can be therapeutic, but it also can be quite uh, unproductive. And you also like lose the plot a bit. Mm-hmm. Like you start thinking, not so much with the comments, but for instance, I'll, I'll be having some like bitter fight with some, someone in my, in my life. And I'll be thinking, like, and not even like a member of the public, like someone yeah. maybe in your extended family or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like writing my book, going, "Oh, he's going to read this, and he's going <laughs> to." And then you just realize you just spent like six months writing this book with that one yeah. person in your mind, and it's like, why? Yeah, why did yeah, I do that? Maybe I should. Maybe I should have written it for like the people who like like me and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so my, my thing about reading comments, it would be, I'd do it if I thought it was helpful for shtick, but yeah. as soon as it. I, you definitely start losing the plot yeah. when you start spending too much time online. I, I almost have an- anecdotal proof of that because I, I started muting all the people from my last book because I'm moving on to my next project and I just kind of didn't want it in my head and all these political things or whatever. And and I started just falling down other rabbit holes. I, like, like, for instance, the, the one new thing I'm working on is about the, the future of smoking and vaping and everything. So I've started following all those accounts instead. Mm-hmm. And then, like, that all fills your head, and then yeah. when you're like walking down the street, you think that's the world. Yeah, and it is. It is a hyper hyperactive community, isn't it? The, yeah, the vaping. And yeah, the, but yeah. but like suddenly overnight, my head's just not filled with. Oh my god, there's all these far right people and far left people and stuff. <laughs> and and if I fall down a rabbit hole of like I, I fell down this rabbit hole on YouTube of people doing their homemade guitars or something like that, yeah. and then that that suddenly fills your head. You're kind of walking down the street going, and it's like, oh, this is what everyone's thinking about now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Homemade guitars. Yeah, and look at those humbuckers over there. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting skill you have, though, where you can report on these things without s- trying to sound like a martyr or a patron saint of, you know. Yeah. And, in fact, in, in this book, this extremist um, book, uh, depends what you mean by extremist, you actually do quite an interesting job at uh, humanising people that are, would be quite clearly villains in a yeah. Martin Scorsese film, you know what yeah. I mean? Or in, in the mainstream would consider them probably not the good guys. And you did the hard yards drinking with them in Bendigo or where whichever rally they're in, and you kind of applied a personality to them, which is interesting. Was that a hard part of the book, or was that does that come easy to you? Because it sounds like some of those piss ups were really uh, um, a slog. Yeah, I mean <laughs> the thing with the far right is that they don't get any more interesting the long, longer you. St- you spend with them yeah. so it's it's almost like the first meeting's great because yeah. it's like it's so colorful and you're like it's it's stimulation overload it's like oh my god he's got a swastika on his neck oh my god i'm hanging out <laughs> whatever <laughs> then, then then that like the novelty really wears thin and then like your yeah. problem by your third meeting isn't that they're like neo-nazis it's that they're just like boring you to tears you yeah. know yeah so and, and like so their, their, their political stuff is just so yeah. Boring um, after a while, pretty quickly. So, did you ever get to the bottom of what these people do, like for a living? I mean, there's not too many jobs that would have you if you know if you were covered, you know, in Nazi ink, you know, up and down your neck, on your hands. Well, I, I, some of them are self-employed and mm. just kind of dodge around that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think some would just be getting social security and yeah. you know. Mm. 
Is there any elements of organised crime still, or is it more? Uh, I, I wish because yeah, that would have made that would have been great now. for the book. Yeah, yeah. It didn't actually appear too much. There was no kind of uh, Sons of Anarchy, you know, drop yeah. offs and funding the movement. Yeah, uh, this um, is England type shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I, I actually asked uh, a a guy who works in counterterrorism recently about whether is there a connection between the illicit cigarette trade and like these far right groups and, or, or any or any radical groups, and he said. Um, uh, what, did, what did he say? He said there was a raid at, like, I think at Lakemba or Bankstown where, where counterterrorism got on to the illicit cigarette trade. But then I think, I think the, they kind of found out that it was just kind of incidental. So yeah. it kind of wasn't funding terrorism. It right. was just funding, funding cheap Winnie Blues. <laughs> <laughs> funding small business owners. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how, how were you able to convince the SBS and the ABC to, to fund the things that you did, you know, in the 2000s, you, you know, from your show versus God to, to, to race relations, which I think was in America first. We got a lot of the things that a lot of people of our age would know yeah. you about. You know, is doing these really, really hectic things. You know, there's yeah. obviously that thing with you and your cameraman in the Middle East, how you swapped over your your uh, your sperm samples. Ah, you know, yeah. That that's always, you know, yeah. that's always. A story that's told every time your name comes up was the ABC and the S- SBS like this is great keep going. Uh, I think I kind of got wind of the fact that they were most obsessed with local politics. So in, in that you could really get in trouble if you were talking about like the Labor Party too much or the Liberal yeah. Party. Like that's what their main concern was. And I kind of wasn't particularly, that wasn't particularly my jam. Yeah. So I just sort of started doing kind of like, kind of like, I guess smart, because a smart thing I'm trying to go into areas where they just didn't think about it that yeah. much. So, and, and for a while, yeah, they were, they were the areas or, or whatever. But yeah, you'd occasionally stumble into things, like you'd learn things, like, because I'd, I'd always just be taking the mickey out of everything and then you'd find out that, oh, no, they... Like, because I did this one thing on Versus God about how, like, people in lefty suburbs, they sometimes have this plaque out saying, oh, we acknowledge the Wundry people as the owners of this or whatever. So I did, like, a skit where, like, I got some Aboriginal dudes, actors to come and sort of, like you know, door knock yeah. and like wanting wanting to take their their, their land yeah. back from these sort of like <laughs> from these hippies or whatever. And that was like when I, and I just like wrote that and I just thought like I've written stuff where you're like taking the mickey out of this and that and Muslims yeah. and Jews and Asian or whatever. And I thought this was just another thing. And it was like no like people were just really Well that's interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where it was like like the wardrobe woman was like, I cannot do the clothes for this because you should get an Aboriginal person to do it, and then yeah. and it was just all this stuff and yeah, so I, so I just learned that 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 there were things hypersensitivity, yeah, 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 yeah. Now you've also got, and before we go, there's a little bit more uh, supernatural. Uh, you're going? Uh, oh yeah, I spent. I, I went over to Vanuatu and America to look into the occult right. for a Audible podcast that will be coming out mid-November. Right. So oh, and oh, like mo- modern day. Is this like, Polynesian religion or...? Yeah, well, modern day... Uh, the, the two cases... The one I look at in an island on Vanuatu was about these two guys 10 years ago who were... Well, the school principal had died on the island mm-hmm. and these two guys were fingered as 
being practicing witchcraft that had killed the principal. So they have these little this little island court, right. and the two guys were like sentenced to death basically, and they were uh, like they were killed. Right. So you can get like the capital punishment really for being a witch no. these days. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one I looked at was, you've, you might have heard Donald Trump's always banging on about this El Salvadorian gang called MS-13. Yeah. And yeah. so they, I was just reading this article where two members killed this girl and they were claiming, both the police were claiming and the guys in court were claiming that they killed her because she bumped their satanic shrine at their apartment. Right. And, and I was like, what the hell? And, and they took her out and they shot her. And then I started reading more about MS-13 and it was like another yeah. story where the backstory was it was a demonic killing. And then I started yeah. reading more about how there's this one version of their history where oh, the original members were like Satanists, like back in the right. 1980s. So I went over there to check whether the veracity of to that. To El Salvador. No, no, to oh, uh, to, um, to yeah. I went to Houston, Texas. Yeah. That's where the murder was, one of the satanic yeah. murders. And it was only like last year or something, the murder. And then I went to L.A. where I uh, found these other ex-members of, of the of the gang just to f- kind of check out whether it's true that they've got s- satanic roots and stuff. Yeah. Now, you, you, can, you don't seem to have an issue with, like, being around anyone. Like, uh, if you'd asked me who the scariest gang in the world was, I'd probably say MS-13. Have you ever been stumped? Have you ever yeah. found any community a bit who, standoffish? Who's, uh, who's the scariest person you've ever been next to? Oh. Uh, I, usually when I get scared, I've got scared for the wrong reason. Yeah. So one time when, one, one time when I was getting uh, crucified in the Philippines, the uh, <laughs> it kind of I, what happened was I got uh, it was part of a ritual that happens anyway. So I wasn't like doing anything unusual. I was just partaking yeah. in this uh, ritual, and it was like the real early days of like. Blackberries buzzing in your pocket where your yeah. name came up. So I think it was like the very next day or like it wasn't long after I'd been crucified that oh, there was a buzz in my pocket. I think the Australian was like reporting on it because they'd mm. seen some associated press photo or whatever. Yeah. And I started freaking out that like we're going to get in trouble on the island for that. So I was like, we have to get out of here. Like we're just going to get in such big trouble or whatever. And we'd sort of planned to have a meal with the people and the organisers and we kind of darted off the island because I I freaked out. I thought we'd just get in too much. This is with the hyper-Orthodox kind of Filipino Christian. Yeah, yeah, Catholics, yeah. yeah. And um, because I just took part in it like in a regular way, in a respectful way in so much as – but the way they were talking about in the article, it was like all like – prankster clown and I was just like oh you know like if they read that maybe we're going to get throttled so I I got really scared and convinced the crew that we have to leave and then we sort of got in more trouble because it was like so obnoxious and rude to kind of leave before having the the meal and stuff and none of them had their iPhones (laughs) no yeah exactly good point (laughs) (laughs) well we wish you the best with um, with the next book and thanks for joining us Mr Saffron thank you very much no Thank thank you Thank you.